0: The great hope that we have as Christians is not one that can be taken away from us or one that even ends in death but is the gift of eternal life given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. We see a foretaste of that in the passage that we read this morning with the raising of Lazarus and Jesus demonstrating his power over death itself the ability to conquer death with a word it is a very famous passage but it is part of John's gospel and John tells us explicitly in John chapter 20 that the reason he has given us his gospel and the reason he has recorded these events is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah the Son of God and therefore the reason that we see Jesus raising Lazarus this morning is so that we might believe ourselves and see something of the goodness and the glory of Christ. In the chapter before the raising of Lazarus in chapter 10, the words that we began our service with this morning, Jesus declares that he himself is the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for the sheep, And it is in that role as a good shepherd, as one who cares for and loves his flock, that he acts in this passage towards Lazarus and his family. And therefore this morning, as we study this together, and as I preach on it, I want us to see something of the love of Christ, a love that overcomes death itself. So we're going to take it in three parts this morning. First of all, we're going to see that Jesus' love for us is providential. Secondly, that Jesus' love for us is personal. And thirdly, that Jesus' love for us is passionate. Providential, personal, and passionate. So let's jump straight in with that first one, that Jesus' love for us is providential. We're told at the beginning of our passage that there was a man who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Often when we think of Jesus and his disciples, we think of Jesus and the 12 apostles around him. And rightly so. They were the ones whom Jesus taught the most. They were the ones who were commissioned after his resurrection to go out into the world and spread the gospel. But we must never forget that around Jesus and the twelve disciples those apostles was a wider body of friends and followers of Jesus and three of them we're told were Lazarus, Mary and her sister Martha and we're told that they were intimate with Jesus Mary had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair and in fact when they come to speak to Jesus. They remind him of his great love for Lazarus. And that they themselves love Jesus. These are family friends of Jesus. People who he's close to. They're not strangers to him. Now, if a friend of yours was gravely ill, literally on his deathbed, and you got a message from his family saying to you, please, He's about to die, come quickly. I wonder how you would respond to that. Because Jesus in our passage this morning does something that for many of us will seem strange. We're told that when he received the message that the one, Lazarus, is gravely ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He effectively stays where he is until Lazarus has died. Now, it wasn't that Jesus was unable to heal Lazarus. One of the things that happens later on in the passage is that when Jesus comes to the grave, to the tomb of Lazarus, the people around that grave say, couldn't he heal him? And the answer of that is, of course he could have done. But he stays where he is for a particular reason. We're told, verse 6, so when he heard that, Je- that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why? Because, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loves them, so he delays going to them. Jesus has something greater in store for them. They have requested to be saved the pain of grief from their brother dying. To have their brother escape from having to go through the process of death itself. And yet Jesus is saying no to that request. This isn't for Jesus' benefit. Jesus does not get more joy out of this. In fact, we see later on, he's moved to tears At the tomb of Lazarus. But what does Jesus say to his own disciples? I am glad, verse 15, that I was not there. It is for your sake, so that you may believe. Or again in verse 4, it is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. There is something more important for Jesus than saving these people from grief. And that is that they need to know him. They need to know that he is the Son of God. And they need to know something of his glory, his power, his majesty. And though, therefore, he does not give them exactly what they want. But he instead gives them what they need. Now, in the abstract, saying the Lord gives us what we need rather than what we always want, it's an easy thing to say. It can sound glib. And you know the principle yourself if you've ever looked after children, that there is a difference between giving them what they need and what they want. But in the moments when we're in pain or struggle, it's not quite glib, is it? It's an important truth, but it isn't an easy truth for us to accept. Later on in the New Testament, in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul will write to the church in Rome and say, the Lord works all things together for the good of those who love him. Now that verse, when thrown around loosely, can sometimes do damage. (laughs) And yet it is a great truth of scripture that we must understand. The love of God is providential in that he organizes the events of our lives. He, he is with us through them. But they are ultimately for our benefit and for his glory. Now we'll come on to say more in a moment of the way in which Jesus loves us. So this isn't the end of this passage. But there will be some of us this morning who will be thinking, I've prayed to God. I've gone to him with my deepest needs, and he did not answer the prayer in the way that I wanted. He hasn't given me what I thought I needed. And I need you to understand this morning, the Lord has treated you with love. Even if we ourselves cannot always understand, even if we cannot, from our viewpoint on earth at this moment, understand why the Lord does what he does, he treats you with love and he cares for you. And therefore, do not lose hope. In those moments when the Lord feels distant from you, or those moments when life seems hard, you are no less loved by God than on the days when everything seems to be going right. It is a providential love which we must remember at those moments we are most likely to forget. Secondly, then, we come to the fact the love of Christ, the love of our Good Shepherd, is is personal as well. Jesus, after waiting, he goes down to the village of Bethany. And, you know, his disciples do not understand what he is saying. They do not understand what Jesus is trying to do. In fact, Thomas, who later on will get the nickname Doubting Thomas because of what happens at the resurrection, he always seems to be the most kind of downcast. And his attitude is, well, if Jesus is going to die, we should go with him. Let's all die. Let's all go together. Okay, But that isn't Jesus' intent. When Jesus goes down to the village... He finds that Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. It's a two-day walk, so he did wait until Lazarus had died before he went down there. And out of the house comes Martha. Martha, who is a friend of Jesus, runs to him. And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus And she is here declaring some level of faith that Jesus is able to act even in the face of death. And Jesus goes on to say to her, your brother will rise again. Well, Martha is a God-believing Jewish woman. She knows her Old Testament. And so she says, yes, Lord, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She knows that at the end of time, there will be a day when the dead will be brought out of their graves in new bodies, in a great resurrection. And she's looking forward to that day for her brother. But notice what Jesus does. He turns her attention away from being focused on a future event to being focused on on himself. He doesn't want her thinking in the abstract of what might happen in the future, but rather who is in front of her right now. Verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and The life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying, I am. It's not simply a description of himself, but it's an echo of something that we see throughout John's gospel where Jesus says again and again, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. He is echoing here the words of Exodus chapter 3. In that event, a man called Moses was out in the wilderness looking after sheep when he saw the flaming bush, the burning bush. And there he encountered the living God and he asked for the name of the Lord. And God said, I am who I am. Jesus here he's saying that one whom moses met at the burning bush i am him it is a claim that he is god there in the flesh in front of martha he is saying to martha and to us that the source of blessing the source of god's goodness in our lives is a Person, not an impersonal force. That the blessings of God are not reached by Jesus. They are found in Jesus. That Jesus, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. That when We come to know the Lord. It isn't simply facts about him. And it's not a general belief in a God who made the universe and is out there somewhere. But it is to come to know Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have everything the Lord has to give you. This morning, if you are trusting in Jesus, you have every blessing from God. Every blessing, nothing is held back from you. Nothing about your future will be removed from you. You have it all if you have Christ. That's what Jesus says. Whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. They will never ultimately die. They will not be lost to the grave. It is personal because it is located in a person. (laughs) The love of God is located in a person. But it is personal in another way as well. Because of the question that Jesus asks there at the end of verse 26 when he says to Martha, Do you believe this? Do you believe? And Martha responds, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world a wonderful declaration of faith isn't it she says i believe that you are who you claim to be jesus you are the christ you are the messiah you are the son of god you are divine in front of me today yes i believe what about us what about you how would you answer this question that jesus asks martha That is posed for us in this gospel to each one of us. Do you believe? Because if you do believe. Then you have eternal life. You have it all. But notice the question. Do you believe? The question is not. Have you stopped sinning? And started living a good enough life for God yet? That isn't the question. It's not, did your grandmother take you to Sunday school when you were a child? (laughs) And you have a good family lineage. Sometimes in the church, we can get wrapped up in comparing ourselves to others. You know, I'm not a great saint. I'm not a great Christian. I'm not compared to that guy across there. He seems really holy. But at least I'm not as bad as... That one across there. That isn't the question, is it? It's not where do you rank in your personal league table, but you alone. Do you believe? It's not even can you find Malachi in your Bible without using the contents page. It's not even do you believe without any doubts or questions because We read in this passage that Martha has doubts, doesn't she? What did she say to Jesus? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's an accusation. That's a challenge to Jesus. And yet she believes despite, or may I say, with her doubts. My friends, the love of God is personal because it is found in a person. And it is personal because each one of us must confess that we Believe in Jesus. Do you believe this morning? Finally then, we move on to the fact that the love of Jesus for us, the love of our Good Shepherd, is passionate. After Jesus has met with Martha, Martha goes and gets her sister Mary and mary meets with him outside the village she she comes out to see him and mary comes to jesus and says you know my brother had not have, sorry if you had been here my brother would not have died she weeps she collapses at his feet weeping and jesus asks to see the grave And as he comes to the grave, we get, in verse 35, what is the shortest verse in the English Bible? Jesus wept. It's a reminder for us of the great truth that we're told about in Hebrews chapter 4, that we do not have a high priest, we do not have a Lord Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but is one who has been tempted in every way, yet is without sin. One who knows what it is to feel grief, hunger, exhaustion, pain, loneliness. One who cares for each one of us and knows what we are going through with this passionate love of his. Indeed, we see in this very passage that Jesus treats people as individuals in the way that they need to be treated. Did you notice that as we read the scripture this morning, That Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And if you turn back a little bit, you get Martha. And what's the first thing that Martha says? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same words from two sisters. And yet Jesus treats each one of them differently, doesn't he? With Martha, he knows that in that moment, she needs to be reminded of the great truth that he is the resurrection and the life. With Mary, who is at his feet weeping, he needs to go to action. Two sisters from the same family saying the exact same words. Jesus gives each one of them exactly what they need in that moment. He cares for them, loves them as individuals. God, it's not like a vending machine, where if you put in the same code every time, you always get the same product out. Two people this morning could pray the same prayer. The Lord knows our situation so well. He will not treat us all as just identical or care for each one of us. But the passion of Jesus, this passionate love, goes beyond knowing our grief and caring for us as individuals. But in verse 33, we're told that he was deeply moved. In his spirit and greatly troubled. And then in verse 38 again, we're told that as he came to the the tomb, he was deeply moved again. The word deeply moved here, it's more than simply the feeling of grief. It is a passionate emotion. Closer, we would say in English, to outrage than mere grief. And it is right. Because as Jesus comes to this tomb, we know that he has already announced that he is what? The resurrection and the life. If you read John's gospel from the very beginning, you would see that he is the word of God made flesh by whom all things were created. And he is therefore the creator of this world. He is the one who's given us our own life. And He made this world perfect. He made it without human suffering or human death. Because of human sin, death has entered into His creation. But it isn't welcome here. It is an intruder, it is a trespasser on His land. And as He comes to face to face with death, He is outraged that it is marring, it is spoiling his good creation. And Jesus goes to war against death on our behalf. The passion that we see here outside Lazarus' grave will be the same passion that will take him a week later to the cross where he will voluntarily go and be crucified to take our sins on himself to, the same passion will take him to experience death on our behalf to die for our sins and it will see him conquering death as three days later he walks out of the grave he gives us eternal life because he is the one who conquers death and he does so with a holy and righteous anger against it and what we are seeing here with jesus is the first step in that Jesus knows that for Lazarus to come out the grave, he will eventually have to go into a grave. But he loves us with such amazing passion. That Jesus would prefer to be crucified than for us to be lost to him. And if that is not a passionate love, I do not know what is. And therefore Jesus stands before the grave of Lazarus. And he calls out the name of one of his sheep by name. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus can do nothing but obey. But this is a foretaste of what will happen when Jesus returns. When there will be the command given and we who believe in Christ, will be risen from our graves in resurrected and glorious bodies. And the grave will be no more. And pain and death will be dealt with. And Christ will reign unopposed. My friends, the love of Christ conquers death. It saves us and it rescues us. And therefore, let me just ask that question again. Do you believe If you don't, if you have any questions about this, please talk to myself, talk to Andy, talk to the members of the church. We'd be delighted to talk about this. But if you do believe, rejoice. Nothing that happens to you in this world, nothing, no one can take you away from your Lord Jesus Christ. And his love for you for all eternity. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given your only begotten Son so that we may live. How wonderful, how glorious. The grave is conquered, our sin is paid for. Lord, please may we always remember this fact. Nothing in this creation And remove us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. Remind us always, Lord, that when we are going through tough times, you love us as much as when we go through good times. Remind us also, Lord, that we will be kept with you for all eternity. And that in you, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Lord, we praise you this morning. In his name, amen.